couple of months ago, a Facebook post caught my eye. The title of a book called Raising Girls Who Like Themselves. And whilst the title seemed so simple, I thought, bingo, that is exactly what I want for my girls. So I grabbed a copy and I read it within a day and I thought, I need to get the authors, Casey and Chris, on the show so that we can help more girls to like themselves. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in, and join us on this next adventure. Before we start, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and the Gubby Gubby people. We honour their song lines and storylines and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this episode. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host today, Vicky Oliver. But before we start, I just wanted to thank our latest Patreon supporters. Now, after some gentle prodding from some of you, our loyal listeners, we decided to bite the bullet and give you the opportunity to support us for the cost of a cup of coffee, which is around $5 a month, through our Patreon page. Now, your support helps us to continue producing this podcast from all the sound editing and the uploading and all of the admin that happens behind the scenes. Your support in this way means that we can invest more of our time in delivering our message and our mission, and it's not taking away from the other programs and the shop and all of the other different projects that we take on at Wildlings. The rest of the business isn't suffering and that we can continue creating this amazing platform where we get to share with you all of the amazing people around the world who are changing the lives of children and helping to educate us to be the best parents and um, mentors to the children in our lives. So thank you to all of you who have signed up recently. Your support means so much more than you could ever know. And we love the fact that you can become active participants in our podcast. So we're hoping in the future at the moment we've only got a very general pledge um, and when we've got a bit more time we will be hoping to give you some more access to exclusive content and our community and an insight into our creative process. So thank you again and while you're at it, uh, whilst you're on your little podcast player, make sure you hit subscribe and like and that helps us also to get our podcast into the ears of more people who are making a difference in the lives of children around the world. So today on the podcast, I'm really excited to have Casey Edwards and Christopher Scanlon, who are the authors of the book, Raising Girls Who Like Themselves. Now, Casey is a leading Australian columnist and best-selling author of eight books, and she has an audience of over 10 million people worldwide. Chris is a writer and researcher and academic at Deakin University, and they live in Melbourne with their two daughters, which I'm sure is the inspiration for this book. And I can't wait to be able to share with you the message, which is so important in helping to support our children and our girls in particular in becoming just human beings who like who they are. And that's, I think, such an important message. So I'm really excited to share this podcast episode with you all. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us on. It's great to talk to you. 
Do you want to know, I, I think it's important for you to know that um, the reason why I found your book was a Facebook ad and ah. the title of your book, whilst it seems so simple, it really grabbed my attention because I thought to myself, that is exactly what I want for my girls. So I would love for you to start by explaining why you think girls don't like themselves. Yeah, okay. The first thing I would say is that when our daughter was born, so we have two daughters, we've got Violet who's 12 now and Ivy who's seven. And when Violet was born, I had this really strong feeling that I hope she wasn't going to turn out like me. Mm. And I thought about that and a lot because, you know, if you look at my life from the outside, you know, I'm very privileged, you know, white, middle class, good family, educated. I, you know, ticked all these boxes. What what was wrong with me? What did I not want for my daughter? And I realized that I grew up feeling like I wasn't good enough, like I was never enough and that I didn't like myself very much growing up. And that was really at the heart of why I I didn't want her to be like me. I wanted her to grow up liking herself more than I did. And it became really clear to me that it wasn't just me who felt like this. You know, I looked around at the other women in my life and honestly, most of the women I know don't like themselves very much. And you look at the stats about girls' well-being and body image and eating disorders and self-esteem now, and it's even worse for them than it was for us. Oh. And so it, it really occurred to me that, you know, we really need to do some, something different. And to start with what we need to do with something different is change our goal, you know, our goal, people will say, I just want my daughter to be happy or I want her to be successful or I want her to be kind. Well, we want all of those things for, for our girl too. But at the heart of it, the starting place, the fertile soil for all of those things is whether or not she likes herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that resonates so much with me. And I often, um, and I've probably said this a few times on the podcast, um, I don't want my girls to get to 30 and start to try and unpack all of that stuff. I want them to be able to to move through that and know who they are and like who they are and be accepted and be surrounded by people who also love them unconditionally. And so, you know, what is it that we need to do as parents, as community members to help children to to like themselves? So you've got seven pillars. Do you want to explain what those yeah. are? So we came up with seven things that every girl and indeed every boy and every grown-up as well, in fact, they need in order to to like themselves. And the first one, we might just back and forth here. Mm -hmm. The first first one is a power perspective. So that's the idea of learning to think in a way that works for you rather than against you. And so we know that something will happen in life, you know, and a bad event, a challenging situation. And some girls will be able to push their way through it and thrive and other girls will be crippled and crushed by exactly the same situation. And it's not necessarily their capabilities that is the difference. It's how they see the event and whether or not they believe that they have the internal resources to cope. And the thing about a perspective is it really is a perspective in we can teach our girls to choose how they think about something and choose how they're going to act 
in accordance with that thinking. So therefore, it doesn't matter what happens in their life, they will be able to to thrive by managing the way that they address the the event that happens in their life. Mm. I think a lot of adults are still unable to do that. That's the tricky part, right? Because as adults, sometimes we don't have these skill sets to even pass that down to children. For sure. And the research around a power perspective is really exciting because what it says is that anyone, it doesn't matter how old you are, we can change the way that we think. We can Mm. rewire our brain. And I can vouch for that because I can tell you 100% that I like myself more now than I did before we started researching and writing this book. I have absolutely trained myself to think differently and to not get knocked around by the events that happen in my life or the the look that someone gave me or the thing that they said. You know, I, I can push through and at the heart of that is me understanding and teaching every girl and every boy and and adult that they are the ones who get to decide if they are okay, that their opinion matters most more than anyone else's. And just one very simple thing that parents can do to reinforce that lesson is with praise. So parents will come to, sorry, children will come to parents, you know, a hundred times in a week saying, what do you think of my drawing? Do you like my somersault? And rather than just saying, yes, I like it, flip that question around and say, what do you think? And reinforce the message that it's your drawing. So your opinion matters most. And if they like it, say, good for you. You should be proud of yourself. And if they don't like it, then you can say, well, what would you like to do differently next time? And talk about how they can practice and get better over time. And that's just one tiny little parenting tweak that is absolutely bang for buck. I love that too. So it's just about tweaking and it's just about um, being a bit more aware of how important our language can be and it's just little swaps we can make um, in our behaviour and in our responses that we have for children. So it doesn't have to be like a life-changing, like all these changes made that make it really overwhelming. It can just be these these just little things that are easy to implement um, bit by bit, which makes such a huge difference. Yeah, that's right. And so, so the next pillar um, is about body image. And so we know that, you know, many women and a lot of girls are growing up with really bad body images. You know, eating disorders are a serious problem. And I really think people don't understand just how serious an eating disorder is. You know, eating yeah. disorders destroy lives. Well, I mean, it even stuck. I mean, the stat in your book is right. 55% of eight to nine-year-olds are dissatisfied with their bodies. I can't yeah. even remember thinking about my body at that age. That is something that has is really happening earlier and earlier. And we we actually heard the same story from four different parents. It broke our heart. It was the mm. same story about their girls aged six and seven wanting to slice off the rolls on their stomach with scissors. Oh. And it's like these little girls should be thinking about fairies and unicorns and glitter, yeah. right? And But this, at that age they're consumed with this hatred of their bodies. And so what we discovered when we were looking at body confidence is that the advice that parents often get is actually making the problem worse. Yeah, so that's not we, helpful. we actually heard one of Australia's leading experts in raising girls tell a packed crowd full of parents that they needed to tell their daughter more how beautiful she was. Mm, I, now, yeah, this is sticky for me. Yeah, keep going. 
All right. So the thing is, that strategy was used on us and yes. still is. Yes. Know? Yep. And that's what I find. This is why I find it difficult because I actually find it hard to say that to my girls because I know that that was said to me a lot. And it didn't work, right? It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. And so now I'm really careful because I want them to think that I think that they're beautiful and I know, but I also know it's unhelpful. So then I feel sticky about it because I don't know what to say. Yeah. So the reason that strategy doesn't work is twofold. One, if you tell your daughter over and over again that she's beautiful, then she will naturally assume that it is really important. And many girls believe that their beauty is the most important thing about them, like it defines their worth in the world. And then at the same time, they're growing up in this world where no one is ever beautiful enough. It doesn't matter who you are. You cannot meet these standards. So we're setting them up to fail at the thing that we've told is most important. So the thing about beauty is not for your daughter to think that you don't think she's beautiful. Let her know that you think she's beautiful, but also let her know that it's just not that important. Yeah. You know, like of all the things that you love and value about your daughter, beauty just shouldn't even be on the list. Yeah. You know, because beauty is something external that you bestow upon someone else. So it's automatically making people feel insecure because when someone can give you the judgment of beauty, they can also take it away. And our girls need to build their identity on a firmer foundation than other people's perceptions of their beauty. It's actually really interesting. I'm, I'm really lucky that I'm surrounded by a, um, a very conscious community who make, we have lots of really in-depth discussions about how we're raising our children. And now that you th- I think about it, when I was growing up, how children looked was was mentioned a lot, you know, that child's beautiful and, and how beautiful, you know, and all of those words we use, whereas I don't actually hear that when we talk about any children now, like my community don't, they don't emphasise that. And so I think that for my girls it's not something that they hear as often but I can imagine if that's what they're hearing mum or dad or other women in their lives talking about when it comes to other people then it starts to become that inner monologue of, that's how the judgment and that's important the importance of it because it's being spoken about so much that's right so we have a rule in our family that we don't talk about how anybody's body looks mm. whether it's good or bad we don't comment about someone looking well losing weight you know looking yeah. good for their age or whatever because even if you think you're giving someone a compliment you are still teaching your daughter that bodies are to be policed mm-hmm. and judged yeah yes and, and it's it, it's it, it's just so much better if we can eliminate that as being something that we have to. Co- we are, I feel like we have to coach so much anyway. And if that's just the conversation, like you say, if it's not something that we talk about, then it's just one less thing that you're having to manage everyone's expectations around. Yeah, because there's all sorts of things that we decide are not suitable to be discussed in front of the kids, right? Absolutely. And this is just one more thing to add to that list. Mm, In fact, I would put it to the top of the list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's really good advice. Another big one is, um, and it's related, is is body autonomy of having girls, our girls, you know, understand and really truly believe and internalise that they get to decide, you know, who controls their body. And we yes. think this is, I mean, this is really important given the, the national conversation around consent and, you know, there's a whole, that national conversation that is ongoing around that in Australia. Yeah. Um, and it's just really important that we teach girls from a really young age and in an age appropriate way that they are, um, you know, masters of their own body. And so we even do this with things like, 
you know, showing displays of affection. Now, girls are often told that or they're implicitly told, you know, that, um, you know, you own your own body, but then we send different messages and Mm -hmm. that's often around affection. So we say, you know, give grandma a kiss or give grandpa a kiss whether the girl wants to or not. And I remember as a kid, you know, being told this and I also remember running away, not because I didn't like my nan but because I was a little mischievous boy and that was okay. But my sister wasn't always afforded the same liberty. She mm. had to display yeah. affection. So, and we've been, you know, Casey wrote an article about this and it went viral and it ended up on the uh, the Daily Mail in the UK. They called us the kissing police. Yeah. Um, and, you know, shock jocks uh. on radio have, have said this to us about us. And our argument is, well, it's not about affection. Our daughters, um, you know, show affection spontaneously and naturally as any other kids do, but they get to decide and that's the important part about it, you know, that, that girls get to make that choice. Absolutely. Um, and it can actually be really hard as a parent yeah. to back up your child's oh, choice. Yeah. But, you know, because when that's just been the expectation in your family for generations that girls give affection whether they want to or not. It's very hard for a parent to step in and say, how about a high five? Right. Or, what, a hand, what about a handshake instead? Exactly. So it is, it's really difficult, but I would say it is really important because the, the research is very clear that girls are grossly underprepared for enforcing their boundaries when it comes to sending nude selfies, when it oh. comes to being asked to give oral yeah. sex. Yeah. And so you might say that's a big leap from kissing grandma to oral sex, but the thing is it's all about choice. It's about a girl knowing that she can make an unpopular choice and still be loved and still be supported. Absolutely. And having those and, and I guess also modelling the difficult conversations that we have to have. Um, and as parents, we, we do sometimes have to have these difficult conversations with our families and our children are watching us. So if, if they see us sort of shying away from those difficult conversations, then they're not going to feel confident to, to have them themselves. And so that, that's the importance of us modeling and stepping up and pushing past our own discomfort. Um, and I get, and that's, and that too, like as an adult, I find that really hard. The good girl in me, wants to make everyone happy and so it is really hard as parents to step in and say well you know like how do I buffer the adult in this situation because a lot of adults and a lot of they can use you know emotion and shaming like oh you're breaking my heart and you know Mm -hmm. using all that really strong language and it can be hard enough as adults to put that boundary in place let alone teaching children as you say for people I think sometimes people find it a real big stretch to to go from the really simple stuff and, and it doesn't seem to matter all the way through to the really important things like saying no in, in sexual situations that they're uncomfortable with or like there is obviously a, a very big lead up to that and everything that we do builds them up to how they perceive the, the world and if we don't start early, it's too late. By That's the time right. Where are, where are girls going to learn it if they're not yeah. going to learn it in our home? Yeah. And so at the core of everything about raising a girl who likes herself is bravery. Our Mm. girls really need us to be brave for them. And 
you know, in this situation, we have to be brave enough to have those difficult conversations Mm. and to back up our daughter's choice to either give affection or not give affection on any given day. You know, it can change. Maybe one day she wants to kiss grandma and the next day she doesn't. Well, that's okay. And she needs to know that she's still going to be loved and welcomed and supported within the family, even if she makes an unpopular choice. Because the larger issue is if you, you know, if you never get used to sort of, you know, rocking the boat and being used to it, then you're never going to be okay with that. But if you can start to model it on on reasonably, you know, in the scheme of things, smaller things, then, um, you know, your girl's going to know that it's okay. But if you've never modelled it, if it's such a big deal, then when it gets to the really important things, it's going to like, well, there's no way you rock the boat. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so important. Okay, so the next pillar, so we've been through three pillars so far. The next pillar that every girl who likes herself has is calm. Now, when we say calm, we mean not overscheduled, not overtired, not overstressed, and having time to play. So it's this so is funny. A- it's so funny when I, uh, actually I've got little notes when I was reading your book and that triggered me that like a girl that's calm and I was like, what do they mean by that? And it's always like you have to dig deeper and I was like, oh, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what they mean because I was like, you know, they don't always have to be calm but it's all about like, you know, your in- initial reaction. Sometimes you've got to dig a bit deeper and, and, and actually listen to what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. So look, our girls are just as likely as any other girl to use their outside voice inside. You know, <laughs> they will do a cartwheel down the aisle of coals just like any other child. So no, in terms of exuberance, that's not what we mean. Mm. Um, and th- it, this is another area where parents again have to be brave because there is a lot of pressure on parents to cram as many skills and experiences and activities into our kids as quickly as possible. Mm. In many ways, that's what good parenting looks like. We think it's giving children opportunities. Yeah. But what I would say is how do you feel as an adult if you're not getting enough sleep for weeks and weeks and weeks on end? How do you feel if you are overscheduled all the time, that everything that you do is ranked and measured and you're pushed all the time. You don't get any time to choose how you want to spend your time. You don't get to play. You don't get to make a mistake when no one's watching or measuring. You know, when adults are in that circumstance, it brings out our worst. Absolutely, We it does. cannot regulate our emotions. We uh-huh. struggle to learn. We struggle to be creative. We struggle with our interpersonal relationships. Yeah. But yet some children live like this all the time and we're told that that's good parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's what we mean about calm. We need to back off and give our children, very intentionally give our children time to play. The yeah. strange thing about this one too is that, I mean, I think a lot of, unless parents see, uh, you know, a learning outcome at the end of something, mm. they're liable to see it as not really valuable, but it's a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. Whereas kids learn through play. And, in fact, I would argue that actually adults learn play. If you watch an adult really engaged and uh, in an activity that they're learning, they kind of get into that flow state and they just disappear into it. Um, so I actually think, you know, allowing kids that time to play is actually that you'll probably get the same outcome <laughs> that you yeah. that you wanted in the end, but just allowing with a lot lot, lot less pressure, a lot less competition, um, and a lot lot less stress. Yeah, we we talk about this a lot in in what we do, and it can be really hard when you are you know trying to educate people 
about play because and, and Peter Gray talks about this a lot. Like, you know, sometimes people want to repackage play in some way to make it sound so yeah. much fancier. So people take notice of it, but then it takes away the fact that it is the trivial triviality of, of play is what makes it so important. So people just have to embrace it for what it is instead of trying to convince people that like having to sometimes talk about what they're learning through play and, and make it really explicit, sort of you lose the whole point. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like a lot of learning activities now are just sort of dressed up as play and they're like thinly disguised learning activities, yeah. but they're not actually play because they're not really about the, for its own sake, it's for, you know, some other goal. For an outcome. Yeah, yeah. it has to be child-led. Mm. And we also know that, you know, young adults are really struggling with identity. They're struggling with meaning and those things are found through play. It, it, you find what you're good at. You find what you really care about in a situation where you're not being measured and monitored, where you can just try out different identities and personas, try out different things. And so it's so critical for a child's well-being to be able to play. So important. Totally agree with you on that one. Another one is... Uh- is masterful and independent, and I think that this this actually fits into play nicely because it's it's that kind of you know being able to fail at something and it be okay you know. So I remember I had a, I was a parent helper at, um, when Violet was young at her school, and there was a little girl we had to you know break off into little groups and do some reading, and this little girl was learning to read, and she kept on stumbling over words and being sort of hesitant to go on. And this kind of went on for a little bit and I just said to her, I said, are you worried about making mistakes? And I said, that's how you learn. And she, and I said, I actually want to hear you make mistakes. You know, that's kind of, that's what we, that's what we're here to do. Um, and so, and to celebrate mistakes yes. because, you know, it, we've been, I always say to, I always say to my girls and also my, my students at university as well, <laughs> that's knowing you know you're learning. If you're, if you're keeping in your own little, um, safety zone and getting, you know, the, the top marks and the good results, great, you know that. You need to move out of that and you need to fail and you need to um, fail well and that means sort of like not being dissuaded um, but by actually picking yourself up. And, of course, our education, so much of the, our education system is based not around that. We have high stakes, you know, so failure is the worst thing ever. That's right. Well, actually it's key to learning, you That's know, right. and, and we should encourage our girls to do that, to sort of have a go, fail, and, and you know, don't don't um, address it up as something else. It's failure, but that's okay. And yeah. allow them to do that. Don't touch. I mean, people sort of say it's feedback. Okay, that's that's it is feedback, but you you, you messed up. That's okay. Yeah. And, and to be okay with that and to kind of keep going. And that's I think right. that's the important thing. And have that language woven through because um, I'm an ex-teacher as well. So uh, even I, I reflect back on, you know, our, our learning, like the rubrics and um, mm. the outcomes that – Nowhere in there is there any scope for getting anything wrong. It's yes. like how well do you know it? How everything's about achieving, and so even the language there doesn't really allow much for failure. And one of the key things I remember at, when I was at school in science is learning about how to hypothesize, mm-hmm. and I would actually change my hypothesis to get the right answer because in my mind it was always about getting the right answer, and I totally lost the idea. Like I just didn't. It didn't. You know, the message didn't get through to me that the hypothesis isn't about guessing the right answer and being smart enough to know what the outcome was from the start. That's the whole point of science. And Mm. I reflect on that a lot and I think that was the message that got through to me. And 
I missed the point completely and I was I was the A-grade kid. So uh, we need to change the way that we talk about these things and failure needs to be a huge part of how we talk to children these days. That's right. So getting back to being brave, we need to be brave enough to let our children fail if we want them to have self-esteem because self-esteem we know does not come from word presence. It doesn't come from telling your kid that they're awesome. Self-esteem comes from mastery and independence and the road to mastery is paved with failure. So if we don't let our kids fail and teach them how to fail well, we are denying them the opportunity to truly have self-confidence and self-esteem and believe in their own capabilities. Mm, So important. The next pillar is a girl who likes herself has has strong relationships. Now, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that social skills just develop naturally, that they don't have to be taught. But I would say that you don't have to look very far to see that this doesn't always happen naturally. No. You know, maybe some of your colleagues or extended family at Christmas time and you think, well, not everyone learnt social skills in the playground. Oh, no, they didn't. No. Um, and we also know that loneliness and the ability to make meaningful and lasting connections with people is as deadly as cancer, right? So we shouldn't be leaving social skills to chance. Yes. We also know um, for girls that friendship dramas can be a really big problem in girls' lives. Yes. It affects their well-being and their mental health and it also affects their learning because they are not concentrating on long division if they had a fight in the playground at lunchtime and they didn't know how to resolve it. Um, so we really need to very intentionally teach our girls how to be a friend. We have to teach them how to choose friends that are good for them, how to be a good friend. We have to teach them how to resolve conflict, not be afraid of conflict, understand that conflict is part of any healthy relationship, but teach them how to deal with it and resolve it. And also teach them how to act in ways that reduce the severity and the likelihood of bullying. Because there are things that girls can do. And just one little tip for people listening, it's called a quick comeback. And this is something that you can practice with your daughter at home. And it is one short, sharp statement that is not disrespectful and is not going to get her in trouble if she's overheard um, and not going to escalate a situation, but it helps her stand up for herself. So if someone is being mean to her on purpose, she can deliver a short, sharp statement like, that's not okay that's not cool, or our our daughter says, really, this is what our 12-year-old <laughs> says. Um, and that you deliver your statement in a way saying, I'm not putting up with what you just did or, say, or said, and then walk away. So this is a technique that is taught by Dana Kerford from You Are Strong. She's a friendship skills expert and consultant to the White, the White House, and you know, she's very well-renowned. And this is her technique. It's called a quick comeback. You practice it at home because delivery is really important. Mm-hmm. And just that one statement has been shown to reduce the likelihood and the severity of bullying happening again. Because if you let that kid know you're not putting up with it, they'll likely um, back down. Yeah. I think that's a, a really big challenge for a lot of parents. I know it's quite triggering for a lot of mothers. Uh, I see this a lot um, because I, that relational aggression and those that the drama that we experienced as children ourselves can sometimes cloud our ability to help our own children through it. 
Oh, that's right. It's like a knife to the heart, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When you hear that what someone did to your child at lunchtime, because yeah. it's like you're back into in the playground too. Yeah, and because when you're not, and and I guess um, from my experience, because I actually homeschool my children, we were talking about, and Nikki and I were talking about this the other day, uh, and, and a couple of the other mothers is that we actually have a lot more input in helping our children to go through these experiences. Again, because we're we're surrounded by families who spend a lot of effort in trying to make sure that we help our children the best way we can without doing all of the work for them, mm-hmm. so coaching them through those situations. And it is really hard to, like what well, I know when I was working in schools, to, to have enough people to coach our children through these situations in the playground. There's, you know, like they're having to deal with it all on their own a lot of the time and, and there's not a lot of um, mentors and it doesn't have necessarily have to be adults but anyone older who can step in and sort of deal with the conflict resolution in mm-hmm. a way that serves all of the people involved instead of the, you know, the blaming and the name calling and the, bull, you know, all of that that you have to then wade through in order to actually get to the real issue. Mm. I think also that we were often given bad advice when we oh, were, yeah. you know, so the advice I got is either just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that do to your self-respect and self-esteem? Yeah. Like saying, oh, it's okay if someone treats me badly, I'll just ignore it. Yeah, it's invalidating um, as well, I think, sometimes. Exactly. So we need to have dignity to stand up for ourselves and enforce our own boundaries and and teach people how to treat us. Mm. But the other result, the other advice we get, I got was, you know, punch them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Going down to going down to that person's level going yeah. back that's not going to ha- help to resolve conflict either no and this was often framed with kind of you know you've got to be friends with everybody as well yeah. so oh well i well i have to you know base myself because you <laughs> i've got to be friends with you i've got to find yeah. some way to be friends with you and like it's kind of like treated as a numbers game as if you know that's what you just got to have as many friends as possible rather than think about you know who's actually good for me who actually likes me who actually yeah. you know good for me who's going to stand up for me because that exactly really right. changed for us when we wrote the book we were from the you know be nice to everyone camp <laughs> yeah um, and then once we did our research and you know it was very clear that not everyone is good for us mm. that's exactly um, right and while you need to be respectful and kind to everyone you don't have to be friends with everyone friendship is a special relationship that we choose yeah and that we should choose wisely and that's the important thing i think also to have you know girls understand that they can make it and they can make that choice and it's a valid for them to make that choice mm-hmm. rather than oh no i just have to be friends with everybody because that really takes that choice away from them. they're kind of Absolutely. disempowered through that and then i find that's when girls get very clever and they find other ways to get what they want, which is perhaps not to play with that child, but they'll do it in a way that's still hurtful and mean. Yeah. But um, it doesn't it, like it's not shining the light directly on them, so it's very underhanded, um, which is not a good lesson to be teaching them either, it's because you've taken the power away from them to make their own choices. Like you say, like you have to be friends with everyone, and mm. and I've you know I catch myself sometimes you know saying all those automatic things and then think and I can see my my girls faces I'm like that was not the right response <laughs> yeah. oh, and look that's the thing we all do it I mean mm. as parents we are all going to be um you know come out with the things that how we were parented and yeah you know and like you know even having all this research and, and written this book we still do it we go, yeah. oh, and catch ourselves and kind of go oh that wasn't really 
Now, mm-hmm. we've read a whole book about this. We've re- read the papers on it. But and it's still. a great time. It's a great <laughs> yeah. time for model mistake making. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. And I mean, that's, and that's really important for parents to know is that even those people like, you know, can be- I can believe in, you know, respectful communication and, and all of that so much and not do it a lot of the time because I've got my own conditioning and, mm. you know, I'm, might be run down or overtired and you're not going to be at your best and then I then that makes me also think about our expectations of children like you were saying earlier when they're not calm when they're overscheduled mm-hmm. um, to not be able to make the best choices or to react in the way that you want them to and I, yeah. that expectation isn't even of myself sometimes so I think, I think also parents need to you know forgive themselves a little bit in this process mm-hmm. or quite a lot a lot you know um, yeah yeah, the the final the final pillar is a girl who likes herself is herself, and and by this we we talk about in the book um, two different styles of parenting: stone parenting and seed parenting. And stone parenting is the idea that you know our children are precious pieces of marble, and our job as parents is to pick up that chisel and chip away, and sort of realize them in you know the the best that we think they can be, or whatever society tells us is what they can be. Whereas the opposite of that is seed parenting where, you know, you kind of let children unfurl under their own energies and in their own time. And, you know, it's not, you you do provide guidance, you know, it's like a garden. You provide nurturing there, you provide some guidance, some stakes in the ground, but you kind of allow them to find their own way. Um, And, I mean, we both think these these come from, both styles of parenting come from places of love. And we started really more in the the stone parenting rather than the seed parenting. And we just discovered that it was, um, you know, that our daughter Violet was not really going to go in that particular direction. (laughs) And and then we kind of realised actually why should she? And, you know, it was perfectly fine the the direction she was going and the the way she wanted to to go. but it was just about more, more like getting behind her and, and nurturing and us getting out of the way in some respects yeah. um, and, and getting behind her and allowing her to be who she was going to be. Um, but I think for many parents that comes with a degree of, it can be, a, there can be a grieving process in there. So particularly parents have a particular idea about, you know, who they're, children should be and you know yeah. they might have learned some lessons or they might have missed out on opportunities and and they're um going to make sure that their child gets those opportunities and maybe their child doesn't really value those opportunities in the same way maybe they've got a completely different mindset and they have different values as they will have and it's about kind of being okay with that but there might be a period of grieving you know where we your child is not who you thought they were going to be you know in your, in our, yeah. in your expectations and to be okay with that. And it's okay to kind of have a different um, set of expectations, you know, that your child doesn't necessarily share, but maybe to, to you know, find what they find valuable and go with that. Because yeah. our job is to help our children grow into the best version of the person that they choose to be. You know, if they're going to like themselves, then they have to choose who that, who that person is. And our job is to support them to pick up our watering cans and put down our chisels. Yeah, I absolutely, like I really did love your book so much for that. And uh, whilst a lot of what I read I'd already was on board with, it it went uh, so much deeper and just so reaffirming of the way that I wanted to raise my own children. And actually my husband's got the book at the moment. He said to me last night, he said, I was really tempted to do what they said, which is, you know, for dads who, you know, might be time poor or just want, give me the, the summary. He's like, no, I'm going to read 
read it properly and go through it. And I, I think that it's so valuable to have two parents who are willing to always reassess what we're doing and making sure that we're making the best choices we can for our kids, like you say. And I, th- I think that, that's the thing to kind of go with the principle too because, you know, a particular we've tried to kind of, you know, give scripts for conversations that people might find difficulty or, or conversation starters, but if they don't work for you, it's kind of take the principle and run with that. That's that's the idea as well because, you know, not one book is not going to cover every single situation in, in terms of the specificity, but if you go back to the general principle, then you can get a, a, quite a long way with it. Yeah, and at least you can catch yourself too if you feel like you're, you know, reacting in a way that's, you know, your reactivity and you can bring it, like even if you, you've said all the wrong things, it's you can, like you said, you can come back and you can model oh, making mistakes and have a different conversation or to be able to recognise and, and show them why you were thinking a certain way and why that m- may have not been the best. And and mm. I think that even that in itself is so valuable for children to, to see adults doing for them and and another level of showing how much you that we're supporting them by being able to to admit that we weren't right i think one of the most, that's one of the most powerful things i think you can do with the child is to apologize to mm. to actually say sorry and say i marked up because so much of it is i mean so much of traditional parenting parenting has been really about you know the disciplinarian and being the one to determine whether you know the child was right or wrong or doing the right thing or whatever and i think you know if you can to reverse that and realise, well, I've got a role here as well yeah. um, and model that to a child and they can go, okay, well, you didn't get it, you don't get everything right all the time and, yeah. and that takes the pressure off a little bit. It does. Parent. It's also so powerful when dads do that because, mm. you know, a lot of men have been raised that they're not allowed to show any weakness, they're not allowed to show that, that they fault. make admit fault and make mistakes. Yeah. So if a dad can actually show his child that he made mistakes, he got back up and he was okay, then that is so powerful to that child because dad's like superhero, right? So if yeah. he can do it, anyone can. That's right. So you know, rewriting the roles that we have as parents and 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 the way that we've watched those those play out in the past and and just changing those so much so that it just benefits both the boys and girls because that's what I loved about the book. You know, it is about girls. It resonates with me because I have two girls. Um, but the message is the same for all children, right? It's just that the message is received differently. For the yeah, most so part. the reason why we focused on girls is because we have girls. Mm. Um, but we've received so much feedback from mothers of boys. And I'll just share one story that I received recently and it was so powerful. It was this mother who bought our book because she identified in her son that she thought that he didn't like himself very much. And over a period of about 18 months, he was very negative. He always saw problems rather than solutions. He didn't want to go to school. He claimed that he didn't have friends. And he started saying things that he didn't like that he didn't see any point in being alive. And so she was very worried about this. So she read our book and the power perspective chapter really spoke to her and she realised that her son did not have a power perspective. He was very disempowered in the way that he saw his place in the world. So she taught him the lessons of the power perspective. And then over the next couple of weeks, she noticed a change in him and he started getting up and dressed ready for school without being nagged and she noticed that he started laughing again. Mm. And then a couple of weeks later, she was at a parent-teacher conference and the teacher had noted this, noticed the same transition in the boy and 
what had happened is on the first day of term two, the boy had gone to school and he said to his teacher, I am choosing to have a good term this term. (laughs) And he did. And that by one conversation, because the mum had the conversation and didn't even realise that her son was even listening to her. Yeah. But that one conversation changed his outlook and suddenly he wanted to go to school and he was optimistic and happy again. And so it's so powerful, um, the, some of the techniques that we can apply, everyday for techniques all children, to, yeah. to all kids. Yeah. Oh, that's so brilliant. Uh, well, I've really appreciated you coming on and I think it's an important book, which is why when I read it, I was like straight away, I was like, I'm going to invite them on the podcast. I think that what this, this information is so valuable and I think that people really need to get your book and be able to explore um, the pillars that you talked about in, uh, in a little bit more detail uh, in the book. But just to wrap up, um, I've just got a little, a few little rapid-fire questions for you. So if you'd like to each say to me your favourite book of all time or something you're currently reading that you think our listeners might enjoy. <laughs> Chris and I actually, um, we grew up loving the same book, even though we're <laughs> at opposite ends of the country. Our favourite book was um, Ra- Hating Alison Ashley. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It wasn't until after we got married that we We realised. That's an an all-time favourite. Pretty much. I I remember reading that a long time ago, but I'll have to revisit that now. It's always I always love getting new recommendations. I have to go back and um, check that one out. Where do you guys go to reset after a a tough day or a a tough week or what's something that you might do? We're really lucky that we live near the beach. Mm. So yeah. we are, well, we're in lockdown, certainly. We make our, our trek to the water. Yeah. Just to check it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so calming, isn't it? I and our thing. youngest has, she's a sort of natural runner. And I was never a runner as a kid. Mm. And our oldest is not a runner either. She's very much like me. So she's now insisted that we now run in the morning. Oh. So And she likes going out to the two piers. So we have to run out to the piers. Thankfully, she hasn't asked to do it for about a week now. So <laughs> you uh, and, and that's probably because I, I slept in, but um, she's <laughs> she's very taken with running in the morning. Oh, that's so cute um, and and good. Like I, I love yeah. that children can ha- um, come up with their own, you know, motivations and, and things that make them feel good. Yeah, yeah, getting back to raising the kid you have, right? It's like, oh, can't you just go back to bed? Can you be a couch potato, please? <laughs> yeah. Can you do that without having to involve me in some way? Yeah. Love it, love that for you. <laughs> Not for me, maybe. Um, all right. And then what's one thing that you would change about our education system? I would try remove the competition. Mm. You see, we worry that girls have friendship problems. They hit year like the age 10 mm-hmm. and they're you know, they really struggle to make friends and keep friends. And the thing is, because our education system is so competitive, our girls' friends are their competitors and their foes. Mm. Everything that they do, they are ranked against their friends and measured. And as a parent, it's really easy to get sucked into that. I, f- I found myself doing it my very early on when Violet had started school and she came to me at finished skipped out of the gate and said oh I got seven out of ten for my spelling test and I said oh that's great what did Katie get yeah and I thought oh my gosh you know the message I just gave her is that she's only good if she beats someone else Mm -hmm. and it's really really hard to have good solid friendships if you're competing with people all the time yeah I think that's important on that too I'd create time and space for for 
um, both children and adults to have a go. And, and like, and, and teaching in the university, you know, uh, there's a there's all these policies around the learning outcomes. I mean, that's perfectly fine. I think you know, otherwise the curriculum goes off in all weird and wonderful directions. But I'd like to give students more time, more of my time as a teacher, mm. um, to kind of get feedback and to have a go. And that didn't really work. But let's kind of try and keep working on it. And I teach. I teach journalism. So, you know, yeah. the first go isn't necessarily going to be the right one. They're not going to get everything right, but let's go back. And so giving, I would say, giving both teachers and students the time to kind of, you know, practice more and um, and get, you know, get that really solid feedback rather than these, you know, everything's got to be assessed and it's high stakes assessment. Let's kind of allow, you know, students have more goes at something yeah, um, and some will hit the mark almost immediately and others will take a little bit more time and that's okay. Yeah, maybe perhaps too, like as I'm thinking it in terms of like, you know, they submit a draft and then a final copy, but reframing that yeah. more as like the, the journey from where the where your first, yes. you know, thing was to where it ended up rather than just the finished product as a finished product but the process in between, which I think we miss. Yeah, a lot of yeah. and well. for that for that to be out in the open rather than yeah. oh, I want to hide my draft, it's like no, no, no. That's actually that's fine, and trust yeah. me, be cool with you know showing um, the the progress rather than just the final outcomes because we all come away with thinking, oh, this person's just really naturally good at it. No, mm. they're not. They, they've had a whole lot of inputs that have helped them along the way. I mean, yep. there are those those you know remarkable few who do it perfectly, but that's really the exception. But allowing yeah. us allowing students to see that journey. Um, of, you know, their own self and kind of others would be, I yeah. think, really helpful. Absolutely. Now, um, you you were talking a little bit about how, helping children in terms of how to handle teasing and criticism um, and you've got a little bonus mini course. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we came up with this mini course um, after we kept hearing research about girls being really crippled and crushed by what other people think about them. So we heard stories of girls not wanting to go to school because they were worried they would, they would get teased because of their drink bottle. You know, little things like this, they're so concerned about what other people think. Yeah. And so I was reading the research of um, social scientist Brene Brown in America who writes a lot about vulnerability and creativity and courage. And so we have adapted her her thinking on um, handling criticism into a little mini course to teach kids how to handle teasing and criticism. And it's just a 15-minute video. There's something in there for big kids and something in there for little kids. Um, and we've delivered this course to school children, we've delivered it to thousands of kids, and you just see the light bulb go on when a child realizes that just because someone says something to them, they don't have to believe it. That yes. they get to choose if they are okay and who they're going to believe. Um, so, if anyone would like that course, you're very welcome to it. Um, you can just um, I've given you the website. If you just um, yeah. register for it, and you'll just get a login and a password emailed to you, and you can watch that course. Absolutely. So we'll link that in the show notes uh, for those of you and perhaps even in our socials because I think that that would be a really, really valuable thing for, for parents um, to be able to help their children and and th- through that because I've had an experience just this week and, I, and as soon as I read that I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go back and, and um, give that one a go because I think we always need that, that little bit of a help through. It's also really powerful for adults. So I use mm. it myself. I, um, as a writer, get a lot of criticism and a lot of trolling. And I can honestly say I would not have had the career that I have had without this technique. 
without strengthening and thickening my skin yeah. with this technique. Yeah, and like uh, you mentioned Brene Brown, sold already. I love her work. <laughs> um, and I love that you can adapt that because um, a lot of the time I read her stuff and, I, and I, my brain always goes to, oh, how can we help kids more with this so that we're not having to do what she's doing now, which is helping adults through it all. We can do the prep work for them and help them from the very beginning. That's so right. And if we can great. give this to our kids at this age, it is a present they can unwrap every day mm, of their lives. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh, I just think about how much how much more joy they'll find in their lives because they're not getting bogged down in the thought processes that can come from not being able to deal with criticism in particular or just, you know, negative experiences. So I really value that. Thank you so much for offering that to our listeners. And we are so grateful that you were able to come on to the podcast. I'm so excited for your book. I keep seeing it pop up on Facebook and I keep thinking, I hope other people see the the title and think the same as me, like, got to get that one. And it just is exactly like I said before, the, I, I value that so much for my girls. So thank you for writing it and doing the research. It's very, very much appreciated. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciate the opportunity to, to spread our message and our, it's, a, it's a passion for us, it's this good. project. You can Great. tell. It's Thank brilliant. you for the conversation. It's been really You're great. most welcome. Thanks, guys. It has been an absolute pleasure having Casey and Chris on the podcast today and we will link all of the information to get in touch with them, to have access to their book and that mini training course that they have available for you. Uh, And so make sure you get in touch with them because they have so much to offer and so much support in this crazy, crazy business of raising girls. Now, Before I go, just wanted to remind you also that we have dropped our mini intro to homeschooling course on our website, wildlingsforestschool.com. This course is for those of you who are thinking about homeschooling, but maybe you're not ready to take the leap and you need a little bit of support and information. And we are so excited to be able to help you through this. Maybe it's that you're looking to get some support. How do you do the paperwork legally? Maybe you're feeling a bit anxious about dealing with your current school. Maybe you're you're a little bit nervous about meeting the needs of your children or talking to your partner who might not be too keen on homeschooling. All of those frequently asked questions we are going to cover through this mini course because we do absolutely believe that this is a valid way of educating your children and uh, we, we just want to be able to support those of you who are interested. So again, that's wildlingforestschool.com and you can find our homeschooling courses. So an introduction to homeschooling. And then if you're curious about, and we keep throwing the word unschooling out there and wild schooling, uh, delving into those a little bit more, we've got also two other mini courses there that you can uh, join in on and learn more about. Now, thank you so much for being with us again. We absolutely love doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild. Stay wild.